0: You're listening to Omaha Birth and Babies Podcast, Episode 5, where we talk all things gestational diabetes with Mid City Midwife Amanda Laura. Hi there, and welcome to the Omaha Birth and Babies Podcast Show. We are your hosts. I'm Andrea Showers. And I'm Shannon
1: Barnett. We have been in the birth and postpartum industry since the beginning of 2015. Together, we have built a thriving birth and postpartum dual agency in Omaha, Nebraska. We are blessed to have a phenomenal team of doulas who offer professional and personalized care to each of our clients.
0: We are so happy you are joining us on this podcast adventure. While listening to this podcast, you will hear stories and education surrounding all things fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, newborn, parenthood, and more.
1: We will also have many experts and professionals that will be joining us as we dig deep into all the topics expecting and new parents want to know.
0: Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay, well, thanks for coming back and hanging out yeah, with us again welcome. and talking yeah. with us and answering all of our 8,465 questions. Like, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, for those yeah. of you that have not heard you on a podcast before, why do you not
2: uh, tell them who you are yourself this time? Uh, yes. Get started. So, I'm Amanda Lura, I'm a certified nurse midwife that works at MidCity LBGYN. Um, I have been a midwife since 2013, Um, started practicing in 2014, and have been at Mid-City since 2015. There are three midwives in our office, uh, myself, Kelsey, and Erin. I'm sure you'll see them on here as well at some point. And yeah, love what I do and just think this is a great opportunity to kind of spread some knowledge around. So thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for c- coming, and we're excited yeah. to talk today. Today, we're going to talk about gestational diabetes.
2: Yes, near and dear <laughs> to my heart as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So sure. we all had all three of us here have had a little experience with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> in some form. So
0: what?
2: What yes. is it? Yeah. So obviously most people know what diabetes is. Yeah. A couple of types of diabetes. Type 1 is usually early onset childhood diabetes um, where the pancreas uh, is just not working like it should. Type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes um, are often seen hand in hand. Um, Sometimes we diagnose type 2 diabetes with pregnancy. Sometimes we diagnose gestational diabetes that technically goes away after the pregnancy is over. Um and it's your body's inability to process or maintain um your blood sugar essentially. So either it's affecting how your body uses the sugar for fuel or it is how your body responds to the sugar for fuel. Mm. Um and so there's a couple different, you know, ways to test for diabetes. One, we know your risk what increases your risk. So your risk is increased by um, a family history of gestational diabetes can go hand in hand, just like regular diabetes. My grandpa had it. My uncle had it. My dad had it. All the things we hear, you know, in the lineage down the line. And, and then um, boom, you also can have it as well. Um, We know that women that have a history of large for gestational age babies. So usually over nine pound kiddos um, is kind of a red flag to us saying like, Hey, potentially she has some underlying gestational diabetes or insulin resistance, your body's inability to, to process the insulin like it should. Um, obesity. Obviously we know that people that have um, struggled with obesity also have increased risk for diabetes type two and mm-hmm. gestational diabetes. Um, a inactive or lazy lifestyle people <laughs> that are not as active do have an increased risk for gestational diabetes as well. Um, Polycystic ovarian syndrome, people that have PCOS also tend to have a little insulin resistance um, and can go on to have some gestational diabetes. And then race. We know that women that are of color, um, African-American, Hispanic, American Indian, um, Asian-American women have an increased risk for gestational diabetes and underlying diabetes as well. Yeah. So with all those things in there, your, your risk for gestational diabetes is about one twenty. So exactly. actually, yeah, in the scheme of life, not a high risk, but your risk increases with each of those things that I just mentioned. Yeah.
0: Does like having yeah. a diet like laden with sugar, like you don't have any of those other risks, but you mm-hmm. have a super sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, does that like affect your risk at all?
2: So it's that's the weird thing. It's hard to yes. And no, there are people yeah. that eat a ton of sugar and never have diabetes. There are people that like barely look at sugar and their blood <laughs> sugars like through the roof, like this girl right here. So um, it, it just some are more sensitive than others. Um, but we do know that sugar creates big babies. And we know that women that don't process sugar the same way, AKA have gestational diabetes have a risk for big babies. So even if you don't have diabetes, but you eat a lot of sugar, you're increasing your risk for a kiddo of size. So
1: So, tell us a little bit about, um, how you, how you're tested for gestational diabetes mm -hmm. and kind of keeping that on the radar.
2: Yes. So if you come into my office with an increased risk, meaning you had a previous baby um, with gestational diabetes, your body mass index is over 30. Your BMI Mm -hmm. is over 30. um, Those are two things that we say, hey, we need to probably look at doing a glucose test in the first trimester. So at about 12 weeks, what we do is we have you do the, the, the typical 28-week glucose test where you drink 50 grams of sugar, um, and, then, and then we check your blood sugar about an hour later. Um, if you have a blood sugar over 130 following that test in the first trimester, Mm -hmm. you potentially have underlying diabetes and not gestational. So for those women, we do not do a three hour test. So we do not bring them back and, and have them drink a little more sugar and check their sugar for three hours. We just say like, as of today, you have gestational diabetes. We'll see if it goes away after your pregnancy is over. But as of today, you have gestational diabetes and we need to start monitoring your blood sugars. Um, for women that don't have risk factors when they walk in the door initially, um, typically around 28 weeks, we do what's the what's called the glucose test. We have two options in our office for that. One is to drink the 50 gram glucose, check your blood sugar. We have you come in and check your blood sugar about an after an hour after. If it's less than 130, good to go. If you are less or over 130, then we we have you come back in for what's called a three hour test. So we have you drink 100 grams of glucose sugar yeah. water. <laughs> and then we check, sorry, rewind. We bring in, you do a fasting blood sugar first. So without nothing to eat or drink for 12 hours, check your blood sugar, drink the drink in our office. We check your sugar at one hour at two hours and at three hours. And if you fail, um, two or more of that, you are considered to have gestational diabetes.
0: Well, how come when you check it earlier on, like the first, um, uh, trimester, you don't give the three hour option.
2: Because that is the, at 28 weeks, don't we know the placenta and the baby start to play a role on the, on the pancreas ability to, yeah. um, regulate the blood sugar yeah. before that. So first trimester, it's usually catching women that have underlying type two oh, that don't know it. I get you. Yep. So it's not worth testing a pancreas even more Yeah. because oh. the demands of. The baby have not really played a role yet. And so it's catching type two diabetes, more than likely. Yeah. Um, that first trimester screen.
0: Oh, I getcha. And so you yeah. said you had two options. So the glucola, yes, like yes, water, thank you. I so I gonna, That's what I was
2: forgetting. Yes, that's one option. And option two is we get you a glucometer or a glucose meter. Um, and we have you monitor your blood sugars for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And we have you do them fasting. So first thing when you wake up in the morning, and then two hours after every meal. Okay. And if those look okay, then that's a pretty good test at the 28 week mark to say like, she probably doesn't have gestational diabetes. Um, we also know that our girls that already eat low carb and eat ketogenic or lower carb on the, um, if I gave them a, a blood sugar test test, there's oftentimes they would not pass because they are not used to, to that much sugar. Mm-hmm. So those girls that, that blood sugar monitoring is a really good option. Um, so we don't get a false positive. Yeah.
0: So there's so, like, jelly beans. Have you ever heard of the jelly bean? Like mm-hmm. people will be like, okay, can I eat jelly beans for that? Like yeah. I don't know where that came from, but we
2: used to do it. We used to do it. Oh. So actually this own midwife kind of, so I did jelly beans for my first trimester with my third baby. And then for my 28 week, I was going to do them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was sitting there in the office, eating my jelly beans within two minutes, oh, wow. I was staring at the back of the the um, package and they have must have over time, thank goodness decreased the amount of sugar in jelly beans so the amount that we were always told, which was twenty or whatever it was i can 't even remember exactly, did not was not a fifty gram sugar load, uh, and in order to accurately test the blood sugar, you have to or to do a three hour i 'm sorry a one hour glucose, you have to have a fifty gram sugar load, so we could not find jelly beans that had enough sugar without eating like 60 of them in two minutes to give us that sugar load. So then we're like, we can no longer do this test because we're not getting accurate results.
0: And where did the 50 come from? Like, is that like how many grams of sugar you have, like in a normal meal, if you eat normal, like Western carb diet?
2: That, that, yeah, is what they, you know, is enough to see an actual spike in, in sugar and to where it's not too much where your pancreas should be able to respond and bring it back down by two hours. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure where they got the 50. Yeah. That'd be interesting. I should look at that. Yeah. That would be really interesting to look at Yeah. So obviously
1: don't have gestational diabetes. Keep checking along. If you do. Mm-hmm. Do you need immediately like to get on medications or talk a little bit mm-hmm. about, you know, diet control?
2: Yep. So we always work hard to control gestational diabetes with your diet. Um, and most women were really successful at doing that. Uh, in our office, we send you to a diabetes education class. So mm-hmm. they teach you like, what's a carbohydrate? What foods have more carbohydrates? How many should I have at each setting? How do I check my blood sugar? What do these numbers mean? All the things. Um, We send you to a class so they can kind of teach you um, how to check your blood sugars. And then we have you every time you come, you know, that's at 28 weeks. If you have a diagnosis, then that's when you're seeing us every two weeks in the office. So every time you come, we have you bring your blood sugar log. So every, every number that you've written down, and we review them, and we like your fasting to be less than ninety-five, mm-hmm. and we like your two hour to be less than one hundred and twenty. Okay. And if that's going on the majority of the time, we know that your diet is controlling the diabetes, okay. and so we've decreased your risk for for a bigger baby or um, struggles later in pregnancy. Um, if more than fifty percent are outside of the range. And you're truly following the diet, then potentially we need an oral agent to help control the blood sugars. Okay. And then moving a step further, if that's not working, then some people do require insulin okay. um, for pregnancy. As a midwife, if you require an oral glycemic agent, something to help control your blood sugars that you can take orally, we can usually co-manage with a physician. So mm-hmm. we just bounce blood sugars off of them, make sure that you're on the right dose of medication, and then continue to follow you. And that's like a metformin? Um, yeah, metformin or glucophage. or okay, yeah, yeah, those are two that they use. Um, usually metformin. Um, if, they, it requ- if you require insulin, then we have to refer to a physician because that is just a little, um, out of our comfort zone for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So what, what risks are involved when, you know, mom has gestational diabetes for mom and baby?
2: Even hmm Um, even set, taking a step back. So anyone that has an increased A1C, so an A1C is an average of your blood sugars over a three month period. And it'll spit out a number. Say your average blood sugar is 120, high end of normal. Your A1C is now 5.8. And those are just like made up numbers. I can't yeah. tell you off the top <laughs> of my head with exactly a Imagine 120 a one c Yes. But around there ish, then that tells me that, okay, her, you know, 6.5 is a diagnosis of diabetes. So okay. she's kind of borderline like, okay, we could probably make some changes to her diet and bring that A1C down. We know that women that have that 6.5 or greater are probably oh. underlying diabetes. <laughs> um, also, prob- or increased risk for infertility, increased mm-hmm. risk for miscarriage, um, increased risk for stillbirth, mm. um, and increased risk for babies that are macrosomic or large. Yeah. Um, and that can, they're sometimes harder to get out. So that's a risk as well. So underlying uncontrolled blood sugars is something we really try to tackle prior to pregnancy um, especially the girls that come in with a higher BMI. And just because you have a high BMI does not mean you have diabetes, right? It just means that you are at increased risk and we should, and we should check for those things, especially if you're having trouble getting pregnant. Um, I know me personally, I always have to shut down my pancreas and really work on exercise and diet struggled with it my whole life, um, in order to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And once I do that, then I get pregnant really easily. It just, it just sometimes is me shutting down my my pancreas and watching my carbs closely. Um, having underlying, um, A1C troubles does increase your risk obviously for gestational diabetes. So can you,
0: in theory, so say your A1C is like 6.4, like right on the edge yeah. of, mm-hmm. and it's three months. So yeah, yep. can you do like three straight months of like really rigid, low carb, keeping your Uh like levels, like super, like having like hardly no spikes to them um, and lower that A1C down significantly in just three months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so significantly. So is it like, in theory, if you like truly want to try to control it with diet, like as long as you don't have like type one diabetes or like ridiculous out of the box, you know, like you, the first step is like, let's try to control this with diet and see if you can get this controlled enough.
2: Yes. And not always is it, we've talked about, you know, they're skinny girls that have underlying diabetes or insulin resistance where they're, they're just really sensitive to the, to the sugar. Um, so even those girls benefit from not necessarily the weight loss that sometimes comes with it but the glycemic control you know the the sugar control. So yeah. even my skinny girls that are struggling with fertility or miscarriage we always draw usually a fasting insulin level yeah. or an A1C on them to see if maybe that's the underlying concern because Yes, we know that obesity is increased risk, but it's not only obese women. Right.
0: And that's part of being like
2: metabolically healthy is like,
0: yes, you can look at somebody, you can't look at somebody and be like, you're metabolically healthy. No, you have to know, no. Like the internal that,
2: parts. Yes. And that comes up in our office a lot because there are a lot of women that don't want to do a diabetes screen. And, and for us, it is. It's life altering in the in the healthcare of your child and the delivery. So if I have a girl that has underlying diabetes and we don't know about it, and it increases her risk to her her fetus significantly. So for us, it's important enough to make it kind of a hard stop in our office. Meaning, you have to have it to be a midwife patient. Whether I don't care how we get it, whether we watch your blood sugars for two weeks. Or we do the glucose screen, no matter what it is, but it is something that it does change what we do. So, and it is important to know. So, it um, is one of our hard stops in our office. But yes, it way. definitely is is very important um, to have that data. That another thing that comes up in our office is often people will Google, "Hey, like me myself, my second baby, I got a 131 on my on my um, one hour glucose screen," and they will Google a normal for mm-hmm. a blood glucose one hour. And they'll call me and say, I got a 131 and I have to do the three hour, but the, the cutoff is 140. Well, we used to use 140 a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the research has shown that you're missing a lot of gestational diabetes by using 140 as your cutoff. Yeah. When we use 130, we end up doing a lot more three hour tests yeah. Because people tend to do that 130, 132, 133, 135. Right. So we end up testing more, but we miss less diabetes that way. Right. So I've had people that have had a 131 and failed their three hour miserably. Mm. And I've had people that have had a 180 and passed their three hour. So I can't look at you and say, like, right, she probably passed. I don't, you know, yeah. or you just got one over. Like you'll probably pass your three hour. You probably will, but we don't know for sure. And that's why everyone, we just use the same rules across the board right. and everyone gets tested. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So now when a baby is born of a bomb that did have mm-hmm. a little bit less controlled um, gestational diabetes, mm-hmm. the baby can be born chunkier, like mm-hmm. a, little, a little
2: rolly. <laughs> a little yes, a little squishy.
0: Now, are there different rules that come with those babies after birth than of a mm-hmm. baby within normal weight limits?
2: Yes. Um, even weight aside, just gestational diabetes diagnosis at all, um, those kiddos, even with super controlled, my third baby with my gestational diabetes. Really controlled, worked my butt off, mm-hmm. gained three pounds in pregnancy, like really tried hard. Um, he was my smallest baby by far. Uh, he still had blood sugar control issues. Mm. And what happens is they're used to this high sugar environment inside of mom. Even if it's controlled, it's higher than it should be. Right. Um, then we cut the umbilical cord and we take them out and now their pancreas is functioning on its own mm. so it's pouring out the insulin it's just like okay we got to get this blood sugar down but now I don't have mom helping me bring the sugar up mm-hmm. I'm on my own I got to eat on my own my breast milk's not in yet you know like all the things right. and so their little pancreas is working overtime, and they get hypoglycemic so their sugars bottom out yeah. quite frequently diabetes, underlying diabetes, gestational diabetes, and kiddos of size. So nine pounds or greater are increased risk for that. So with those babies, um, so even if you're less than nine pounds, but your mom had gestational diabetes, they do include, in, um, increased glucose screens on them. Okay, they a type of thing. Yeah. They do a heel stick and they watch their blood sugars for a couple, you know, 24, 48 hours or so. Yeah. Um, and they do increase more frequent feeds and, you know, sometimes we're just like, let them eat on demand. And, yeah. but for a diabetic babe or uh, a, f- a little roly poly, we like them to eat a little more frequently. And typically they want to anyway, <laughs> So this,
0: this may be completely off uh, base. When I get rid of sugar in my diet for the first couple days, I'm a hot mess express. <laughs> it Same. is like so, terrible. It is so rough. Um, detox. Do, do babies that have that, like, and do they mm-hmm. go through this like extra detox of the sugar since they're not getting as high of sugar now? Like,
2: yeah, I don't think because their exposure isn't like it's natural. You know, they're I don't, I don't, I life. don't know. <laughs> I don't think they're more fussy. Yeah. I don't feel like they're more fussy, but they do need to eat more. And when your blood sugar is in the toilet, you feel like crap. So yeah. I mean, I think they probably have some of that. They get more jittery, their nervous system. They get like more, you see more jitters. Mm-hmm. Um, they have temperature irregularities, like they can't maintain their temperature as well. So that's always number one, like your baby's jittery or, and this is it can be normal in the first 24 hours and for 48 hours where kiddos are really jittery because their right. ner- neurological system is just not intact right. um, as well as it should be. But that is a sign of hypoglycemia. And so kiddos that have like, gosh, we cannot keep you warm. Like you're right. obviously nine pounds and you're totally and you're on against your you're up against your mom. Right. That's the number one sign of like check my blood sugar because sometimes they can't regulate their temperature when their sugars are low. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's how we follow them a little closer. Um, all the heel sticks can be done at the breast. I mean, truly in the, in the world of, of pokes and such, it's very non-invasive for what, what we can help prevent if we know their sugars are getting low.
0: So now does gestational
2: diabetes usually go away once mom gives birth? Yes. 20% of women will continue to be diabetic. Okay. Um, half of women I've heard between 40% to half, um, 50% of women will be diabetic later in life wow. if they've had underlying diabetes. So significant for a predictor for diabetes later in yeah. life. So like if sure. you have gestational diabetes, you better learn how to eat better. Cause you're going to have mm-hmm. to do that later in life too. Right. You're going to be poking <laughs> your finger all the time. Even, even people that have never had a diagnosis of gestational diabetes, Shannon. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if you have a history of a nine pound big baby or bigger increase your increased risk for diabetes later in life. Perfect. Just because we didn't <laughs> catch it. We didn't catch your diabetes, but you're obviously have some insulin resistance and yes, genetics play a role in baby size, but so does diabetes. Yeah. But My baby. I mean,
1: my husband's not a big guy. My, yeah. you know, neither side of my family or his family, like, yeah.
0: It's funny though because my so I always when I had my big old kids um my grandma was like well I had big kids and she did like and she was small and you know I'm small and my husband's smaller you know like a leaner guy and she now has type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And my sister who is great, super thin, same thing. All her kids were nine and a half pounds and bigger, all three of her boys. And we always are like, well, it's because we have a dad that's six, six. And we have like, like we have, we don't, we always say you can't have a baby less than eight pounds. If you want to show your face at Christmas, because (laughs) we all have huge children, but it's definitely a predisposition to diabetes, whether you're super skinny or not Um, having large kiddos is sometimes, um, effect, you know, plays a role in the fact yeah. that you could have diabetes later on. Yeah. Oh, yay. I so. know. Let's all poke <laughs> our fingers together. Now,
0: if you, if you get gestational diabetes and you are able to, like, say, diet control it, how does it change or does it change, like, your birth wishes? Like, you said that you can stay with y'all even if you're on, mm-hmm. like, an oral medication. But how... Yep. Like, what does that look like from, like, a persp- provider's perspective? Um, yes. Like, how, how do you keep your change- birth wishes as much as possible?
2: Yeah. It doesn't change our, our birth. Um back up just a little bit in the office, a woman that has known gestational diabetes, we do do a little increased surveillance because we know that women, especially women that have high fasting blood sugars. So the fasting sugar is most predictive for fetal size and, and risk. So even if our two hours are like close, but not quite hundred percent, but our fastings are high. That's a big thing that we really work on. Whether that's, Hey, take a walk in the evening after bed, increase your protein before you go to sleep. All those things we work really hard on. And some people need that oral glycemic agent, that medicine just to help the fastings, because those are the ones we are most concerned about. Um, those are most predictive of, um, outcomes. So, If we have someone that has higher fastings, we know that we have to change the diet, change what they're doing. And sometimes that means like the American Academy of Diabetes gives you an ADA diet. And sometimes we need to decrease the amount of carbs they give you. So even if they say you need 150 grams of carb a day, which is what they say, we often say, let's cut that in half. And right. let's get your baby then what they need. Cause they do need some carbohydrate, right? not a lot, but some for brain development. And so we will often decrease the amount of carb that they're getting just to see if we can get those fasting better, even the two hours better. Yeah. Um. And but women that like fuel,
0: you know, so like, yes. there are two different types of fuel sources. Yeah. And so like you get what you need for like baby to be great and you to be great, but
2: you don't need to overeat fuel source. Right. It's right. not eating for two, like we used to say for sure. <laughs> that's true. Um, okay. but those, we know that, you know, the kiddos that are exposed to higher sugars, obviously the our biggest thing is, is big babes. Um, and so in our office, if you have a history of gestational diabetes or have gestational diabetes on a history, um, we do, offer or ask that we do a, like a 28 week ultrasound for growth. So we check that their size is not like, we're not getting you enough calories or enough sugar, or we're not getting you too much. Yeah. So we look at their size at 28 weeks and we also look at their size about 36 weeks. Um, we do not do antenatal testing on, women that are diet controlled, gestational diabetics. So if we can keep your sugars normal with your diet, we do not do increased surveillance, meaning we do not do what's called biophysical profiles, Mm -hmm. um, or increased ultrasounds or fetal monitoring on someone who's diet controlled. But the recommendation is a 39 week induction, um, on women that have Gestational diabetes diet controlled. Now I will tell you that if your baby baby looks normally grown, Mm -hmm. if your baby, if your blood sugars are all within normal limits, sometimes we can play with that a little bit. But gestational diabetes and another risk factor. Sometimes we say like, hey, let's talk about induction because our risks are increased now even more so. If we have a baby of size or uncontrolled sugars, then we might say like, hey, this kiddo might do better on the outside, and we're um, bettering our odds for a vaginal birth if we can get this baby out when it's a little bit smaller. Yeah. yeah. So I know, but the whole time it's a process of like, let's work on your sugars. Let's do this. Let's try this. It's not yeah. just like a. This is it. Well, no. What What
1: is What are the risks for those who don't want to do a diet or,
2: you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff? Because. Mm-hmm. So babies that are exposed to high sugars in utero are at a significant increased risk for stillbirth. And that's our biggest, um, number one worry. Number two, um, for birth trauma or birth, um, what's called shoulder dystocia. Mm. We know that babes that are exposed to higher sugars in utero have a bigger head to shoulder ratio. So you give me a nine pounder that was not diabetic, not in a diabetes world. And you give me a baby that is nine pounder, exact same weight, but mom had diabetes, Mm -hmm. their head to shoulder ratio is completely different. So does that mean in that situation, regular head, bigger shoulder. Okay.
1: I mean, we, Ava had shoulder dystocia. She was a Mm -hmm. forceps baby.
2: Yeah. So it's harder to get them out. Shoulder dystocia is one of the scariest things in obstetrics, Mm. um, Now we've been trained immensely on how to relieve a shoulder dystocia, but shoulder dystocia is the head comes out and that anterior, the top shoulder gets stuck under the pubic bone. Um, And so there's maneuvers we do to get that out, but it can be very, very scary and um, it can cause trauma to a babe. So if we can prevent that from happening by changing a lot, a lot of the things along the way, that's definitely our goal.
1: Interesting. I didn't realize that shoulder dystocia was one of the biggest Bigger yes. concerns with <laughs> makes sense.
2: <laughs> Not necessarily diabetes, but big babes, but yeah. sometimes those go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Now some
0: people have this thought process of if you're if you're gonna have a big baby, then you are a candidate for a c section or you are in need mm-hmm. of a c section. Is that always the case? Or is that more of like a outlier type of thing? Mm-hmm. Or how does that work into it?
2: Not always the case. Um, Now, if your baby is measuring over forty five hundred grams, I'm sorry, I'm speaking in grams, and I can't tell you exactly how many pounds that is. So I'm just big, it
0: right up. Yep.
2: Yeah. That's like- um, And you are diabetic. It is my job to offer you a primary C-section. Okay. Now, it does not mean you have to have a primary C-section, but
0: nine pounds, nine ounces, by the way.
2: Okay. It is should be offered to you. If you are not diabetic, your kiddo has to be five thousand grams or bigger to be offered a primary C section. So yeah, we'll see what that is. It's gotta be 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um But that is not a necessity. I mean, that is not a must. It just is something that we will offer in the office. Eleven. Eleven pounds.
0: pounds, Five thousand grams is eleven pounds.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah,
0: I think I'm, I'm out.
2: Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might have to fact check that, but I'm that's a uh, last I knew that was the the wec- recommended weights for diabetic versus not and offered a primary C-section. Yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you have a history, that's another thing. If you have a history of diabetes or shoulder dystocia though that woman also will be offered a primary section Mm -hmm. um and it's up to her whether or not she wants to do that once again it's my job to make the recommendations it's your job to make the decision on what you want to do for you and your babe yeah so
0: then is that at like the 36 week ultrasound that if they are measuring that 4500 grams at that 36 or is it more closer to that 39
2: Closer to the 39. So 36 will give us a gauge of like where they're at. They usually typically grow about a half a pound a week at the end. Okay. So using that 36 week um, number, we can kind of gauge it what we'll look at 39 and 40. And if we're pushing that 4,500, 5,000, then we'll have the discussion at 36 weeks and then multiple times down the road.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's rare. Really oh, yeah. rare.
0: I think I've only, I've seen a baby born 10-2.
2: Oh, yeah. That's, I, yeah, I delivered a 10, a couple 10. I think a 10-10. Yeah, I've never seen but it. Not, I mean, that's fair. 10, we, but... Right. They work super hard on getting those sugars normal for sure. My
1: largest newborn wasn't birth. It was postpartum, 13, 13-1. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Born vaginally, so. <sighs>
2: so you just don't know. You it's, don't know yeah, you people don't know. can push out. We just- Yep. But the known risk I mean, of shoulder dystocia, sometimes you just have to have those hard discussions. Yeah. But I don't, who's to say you can't push a 13 pounder out? I think we kind of touched on it, but I'll see if
0: there's, if we touched on it altogether. Um, yeah. So is there a reason why? So we talked about how like 131 is the cutoff, you know, for like that one hour. Um, why do some women fail the one hour and pass the three hour? Like, is that, is there a reason or is it just like, eh, it's just your body?
2: Yeah. The majority of women actually do that. The majority of women are not gestational diabetic and do pass the three hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, that's kind of like the, I can, I can birth a nine pounder, but I can't birth a 10 pounder. I can, I can handle this much sugar, but I can't handle that much sugar. Yeah. And that is the hard it's a gray zone. We don't really wow. know like why some people can handle that and why some people can't. Um, we know the risk factors that increase your, you know, your inability to handle that, but it's hard to know why they pass the one. It's just that, you know, over time your pancreas shoots out more insulin. Some people will actually bottom out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, numbers because their bodies they're like hyperinsulinemia where they just like it's so they get overloaded with insulin and then and then they're typically their three hours like in the 650s and in the 50s and they're like i don't feel very good um so
0: hypoglycemia
2: so- like would that get you a gestational diabetic Mm-mm. no nope it just means your your pancreas is still working you just have to be careful with what you're putting in your mouth. Mm. Um, me personally, it's very eye opening to me that my, that my A1C is elevated. Um, but my blood sugars when I eat normal are completely normal. Mm. So my body's still doing what it needs to do to regulate my sugar, but I've made poor choices to make my A1C high. So that's what I'm working on now is, you know what to eat, you know what to do. You just got to keep that pancreas shut down. Yeah. Um, and then I will, my sugars would be normal. Yeah.
0: Just if like
2: lettuce could taste as good as sugar. (laughs) I know.
1: Dang. If it tasted like
2: cheesecake. Dang. Why is that so true? Like why can't the good foods taste? I know it's life, I
1: guess. It
2: was brutal for sure. (laughs) sure.
1: (laughs) What an interesting topic. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: And it is important. I do. It's just, that's the, the hardest thing. And for women in the office and they don't want to, you know, some people don't want to do the testing and I just can't look at you and tell you like, you'll pass or you won't. Yeah.
1: What percentage of women, um, experience gestational
2: diabetes? One in 20. So One in 20.
1: Not as many as,
2: Yeah. But not as many as like, you'd think in the world of obesity, you know, like with our, yeah. no, our obesity numbers going up, our gestational diabetes have numbers have gone up too. But a lot of people are getting later in life and women that are, you know, 35 and over sometimes have an increased diabetes rate. So,
0: Does um, diabetes increase having like another, like comorbidity, like another, yeah, so we say? do
2: usually, yes. So the answer is yes, but usually it's because you have an underlying co- comorbidity that increased risk for diabetes. So usually it's women it's that cycle. Yeah. It's kind of like this cycle. We often see like heart disease and diabetes go hand in hand. People that have hypertension sometimes usually have diabetes, you know, or vice versa, not always, but sometimes, and same with diabetes and, um, preeclampsia. Sometimes they'll go together. Sometimes me personally, like never had a blood pressure issue, just always have still, and still never have a blood pressure issue. Always just sugar, Mm. blood sugar stuff.
1: Now, what's the earliest you can get induced with um, GD?
2: Mm-hmm. 39 weeks is the, the recommendation, um, unless in our world, unless um, insulin might switch that a little bit. And that is not, that's a refer for me. Yeah. So I send them to a physician, but I think insulin does potentially play a role. I'm not hundred percent on that, but 39 weeks with a diet controlled you say co-manage with like um,
0: an oral medication. What does that, what does that look like for your particular office, a co-managed patient?
2: Mm -hmm. So typically that means that the, we will consult the physician. We'll go to the physician and say, Hey, 50% of her blood sugar is out of range. What are your thoughts? And so then we'll usually like We've already fine-tuned the diet by this point. She's already doing extra exercises in the evening. We've already increased her protein. We've already decreased her carbs, all the things that we can do. Yeah. And we're still just not getting those fasting numbers or two-hour numbers below what they should be. Um, Then we'll go to the physician and say, do you think we should try an oral agent, something to help control those blood sugars they can take? And nine times out of 10, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Then what on the other end too, it does increase your need for antenatal surveillance. So it does mean that you need more non-stress tests and more ultrasounds because now we have more factors playing into your diabetes. So we need to watch your baby even closer than we did before. Um, And those women should be delivered about 39 weeks, but in our office. So you'd see the physician a couple times, potentially just once. um, And then we are constantly bouncing off um, your newest data, your newest numbers, um, after starting the, the glycemic agent and changing the sugars and seeing if the sugars change. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't, then we have to say like, potentially you need some insulin. And then we have to transfer in the office to the physician. So you'd see the phys- physician for the rest of your care.
0: And did they get to um, choose that physician
2: or is that like a you get who you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. You can choose. We will often make recommendations based on your wants and uh, your likes and dislikes. Yeah. So we're really good at like being like, oh, I think you'd be a really good fit with this person. And they can stay on and the, t- the mid city family. Yes. Yeah. And that's typically who we'd go to if we're having blood sugar concerns. Yeah. Um. Initially. So they'd already know your story and all the things. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now I love NIC- how your guys's office works. Oh, I know. I do. It too. is a really
2: nice, like yeah. cohesive group for sure. It is.
0: Now, does NICU ever have to be involved when they know like um, for instance, like when you have Meconium stain fluid, NICU comes in to your mm-hmm. delivery um, just to be there, just
2: in case. Like, does that ever happen with a gestational diabetic mom? No. Um, Unless they can't maintain blood sugar. So unless the baby's having temperature regulation trouble or cannot maintain their blood sugar, then Nikki will get involved. And sometimes those kiddos need an IV with um, some sugar, water, sugar, uh, dextrose, essentially, was what they get just to kind of help maintain their blood sugar. So sometimes they do. The great thing about Methodist, and this is what I did, is that Because, you know, you're just had a baby in the last 12 hours and you have no milk, they have a great donor milk program. So just because your kiddo needs supplementation because they can't maintain their sugar does not mean they get formula. So that was a big relief to me because I was just like, oh my gosh, now he's going to have to get, no, he got donor breast milk and that brought his sugars up perfectly and did what we needed. So that's great.
1: Cool. Yeah. 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 Yay. Yeah. My so much information. So much
0: fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's great.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Yes. We love having you. And you know we're gonna have you again. <laughs> I love it. For yeah. sure.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. Well, have a good rest of your
2: evening. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.